0: What's up? Welcome to Episode 5 of the LSQ Podcast. I'm Jenny Elliskew, a music journalist and radio host who started this podcast last year to have a place where I could indulge in longer, more in-depth, and yet somehow more relaxed conversations with my favorite musicians, songwriters, and producers. Every episode of LSQ includes some audio from my extensive interview archive, and in this episode, it's a bit of a phone interview from 2008 with Paramore's Haley Williams Just as that band was really exploding in popularity, but the section of that interview I'll play for you actually relates to the two new interviews in this episode in that all of these artists were brought up in musical households, and it's interesting to me the effect that has on on those who end up being professional musicians as adults. In any case, the main event is going to be these two new interviews. One with a musical jack-of-all-trades named Jonathan Wilson, who has an awesome album titled Rare Birds, coming out this week. You'll also hear a conversation I recorded in New York late last year with Aaron Mayne, the singer-songwriter at the center of a band called Porches, whose music I fell in love with back in 2014 and I've been along for the ride ever since. You'll get to know him a bit better in the second half of this episode. But first, it's going to be the interview with Wilson. I met up with him at his Los Angeles studio, Five Star Studios in Echo Park, where as a producer, he's recorded with artists including Father John Misty, Connor Oberst, and Dawes. Wilson's own music is an increasingly refined combination of Americana, psychedelic rock, folk, and his own unique vibe. So let's get into it. Jonathan Wilson on LSQ. Thank you so much for, for doing this uh, um, LSQ yeah. podcast thing. I'm happy to be here. Jonathan Wilson, old pal of mine. Yep. You know, you're a dude who has done so much stuff and been involved with so much music in the 10 years or so that we've known each other. Yes. But, you know, a guy who's, whose name might not immediately be recognizable to people. So I wanted to not just talk about this new album you have coming in March, right. which, you know, I think is your best one so far. Yeah.
1: Thank you, I do too.
0: Um, But also, just kind of, you know, how you got here, because obviously we first met when you were playing with Jenny Lewis around 2008 or so. Right. But how long have you actually lived in Los
1: Angeles? Well, um, that time, you know that that was the time I had like come back to stay, so to speak, which was 2005. So I I mean, I've for the most part been here a, a full time since 2005, but. Previous to that, I I did some stints here, you know, where I would uh, uh, come and go, and um, you know, um, I started a band here or tried to start a band here with uh, Benji Hughes way back in nineteen ninety five or something like that.
0: When you arrived here in L.A., you say, you know, well, I want to, you know, I want to talk some more about uh, about Muscadine and 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 your days in North Carolina before yeah. that. But this combination of things you're doing now—producing and mixing and recording and playing and building guitars and and pedals and playing on people's records and all that sort of stuff i mean is this the array of things you sort of imagined you wanted to do when you decided to come here
1: yeah i mean it's pretty much the same thing i was doing even way back like when i was at home in my you know uh, i'm in the garage i was taking apart speaker cabinets and trying to put this drum with this other drum and you know taking the strainer from one snare drum and putting it on the next and uh, you know doing the common the, just sort of the common um i guess type of uh, person that that opens up things they buy whether it's a like an amplifier or right. a pedal you, uh, you, uh, that, taking things that, apart yeah, seeing how they work exploring so yeah I, I mean and um sort of the communal aspect you know is um I guess it's, is you know is it definitely comes from my uh, father who was in a band and would jam with those guys all the time like when I was a kid and um, yeah so yeah, I mean yeah like it's always been a um, like like a fast track for me uh, um, into a social you know existence and stuff too so
0: and so tell me more about this i i know your dad had a band mm-hmm. um but what, what, what what's the deal there was that from the time you they were, were like good, a, yeah. what, you mean for <clears throat> yeah i mean when he, you were born he was already playing music yeah, and he didn't exa- stop exa- exactly
1: I, I mean and it was just a band for fun they, they did gigs and you know like in dances and parties and blah 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 but <clears throat> um that was where i definitely cut my teeth you know and with that band you know i would you know, if the bass player couldn't show up, like suddenly I'll be the bass player on a gig or like rehearsal or practice, blah blah. blah. So then, oh, from the age of what? Maybe seven, eight, or nine, or something like that. Really? Yeah. yeah like, so you would,
0: so you would, at seven, eight, or nine years old, learn a song mm-hmm. co- as someone, to fill in for someone, and then go play a show with your dad's band. Sure. Yeah. 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 what kind of places?
1: These would be parties or you know maybe like maybe like a a, a moose lodge okay like yeah. an elk's lodge things like that this was this this was in a very small town and yeah and um so yeah what's um, the well let's give
0: the town it's due what's what's the, this town, the called? town is
1: called thomasville north carolina right mm-hmm. yeah and then by the age of 13 i started like my own band you know back in that town right and um, i had a few bands and like we tried to write songs, um, um, and we did the cover songs of the day and all that kind of stuff. Which and were lots of Guns N' Roses, <laughs> um, you know, like some Ozzy, some Crazy Train was in there. And, and you um,
0: you knew how to play pretty much everything already by this point. From like I was getting,
1: I was getting there. Self taught. I was getting there, and I think when I started playing the guitar, I got my first good guitar when I was thirteen. Which was a Squire Stratocaster, and I think like my dad or his friends or some of the you know, and his the dudes in his band were kind of like, he's pretty good, like he he can actually play, mm-hmm. you know. So that was, I think, was kind of the vibe. You know, that was you know. So there there was definitely lots and lots of encouragement, and you know that continued um, like until you know that continued, and and then I would say from sixteen like to nineteen, which is like when I. Uh, came here for the first time that was like my jazz uh phase so what, what I did then was was um I went to school for jazz drums I played in in like a few fairly successful regional jazz like combos so right. then I was trying to sort of um will myself into being like a jazz prodigy which I was pretty good but like I was never like yeah you know good enough like for that to you know like to be my path you know right. um, only drums but anyway um, so that was my you know like jazz was my punk and, and that was my way like to rebel against the, the, like the stuff of the day you, you know and, and I mean this is a time when you know maybe one of the biggest bands would uh, like would be Pearl Jam or something like that so while stuff like that was going on like in uh, Hootie and the Blowfish like me I was super buried in a like a jazz odyssey
0: So you had studied jazz in school, and then and you had been here and gotten a little tickle for Mm -hmm. for LA. And so, you know, did you just sort of make your way here as quickly as you could?
1: Yeah, like um, I came out here with some guys like to start a band from Charlotte. Like at this point, I had moved to Charlotte, and I was sort of sort of uh, like familiar with Benji Hughes, who's a you know um, during that time, you know, in like the hometown was 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 known as this. You know, very very special Weird writer. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, so that to me was that that seemed cool. So like, um, in that particular group, which didn't even but like get off the ground, that particular group of guys, um, like I was supposed to be the drummer and stuff. So we came out to Beverly Hills, which was you know was was a huge uh, culture shock for me at the time. But then um, we kind of tried to get this band off the ground. Blah blah blah. You know, like you know, and and like that was in 1990. And so that's when I sort of was completely seduced by Los Angeles.
0: Right. Yeah. As like, if there, this is where you got to go to do it. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. And so you started Muscadine with Benji and yeah. some other dudes from yeah. back home, kind of, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. Um, and, you know, like we started that. And we made an album and I guess... About that time, about 96, 95, and it came out in 97 and stuff. But, um, you know, it, you know that was sort of the tail end of the big, like, n- 90s grunge rock. And, you know, we signed with the legendary guy Seymour Stein, which right. was, you know... W- w- and
0: w- how would you describe Muscadine's music?
2: Hmm.
1: Muscadine um, was a band that was playing songs, like song-based band, kind of in a grungy package, you know. But there was some fuzz involved, so it was more like akin to like the Chapel Hill bands of the day, who we were friends with some of those bands. It more had like a a, a fu Manchu sort of like right. big giant big muffs and stuff like that. So it was kind of like, you know like a, a, a fuzzy grunge thing, but you know because um, like um, like me, I just did a Spotify playlist with things that I've done, and um, and I put a song, a Mustardine song, you know, on the playlist. And when I went back and listened to it, it was kind of like the same thing that I do these days. You know, it was me on the drums, the guitars, um, and, you know, and the bass. And there were, like, some found sounds and weird little, like, cassette bits and bobs that I've always done. So, yeah. I I mean, it was basically the same uh, formula. And
0: was it a positive experience, the the music that you made with Muscadine and the experience of being on Elektra?
1: No, not... That wasn't. That was our first time kind of when we got to feel what it kind of feels like to be collected, you know, and sort of put on the ground. Like, I should have known... When we signed with Mr. Stein, and I looked down on the floor in his um, office, and he had some uh, 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 Picasso sketches that were on the floor. <laughs> that's when I should have known at that moment, like that's exactly what the fuck he's about to do. Like to me, he's that's about to. That's what you mean by collected, then. Yeah. yeah. He's about to sign me on the line. This, this, these like these cool fuck, these cool like weird fucking energetic dudes from the south and then he and then something may happen it may not but 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 he's got you locked so yeah that was yeah. that experience or something and i mean and it kind of put me off of being in a band and stuff like that yeah i mean which was fine but um, the one thing that i'm really glad we didn't have was a hit like you know like i would not be stoked like to be oh that's the guy from the Third Eye, whatever, <laughs> you know, like, it, like, you know what I mean. Somebody yeah. sees me in the store and goes closing like, "Closing time," and go, yeah, or goes like "Wah oh, or something, you know. And I'm just like, I'm like, I, I do not <laughs> want to be that guy, <laughs> so I'm really glad that didn't happen. Um,
0: so both both genuinely banger tunes, yo, yeah, fuck. Closing Time and the Wah Oh song, mm-hmm. but
1: um, as a matter of fact, the Closing Time band was fans of ours, and they took us on some gigs like to open like, Oh, so you them, heard that song a lot back in the day. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was a it, that was an interesting time. Yeah. I mean, what would you say you most learned that, you know, is still sort of relevant to what you how you make decisions nowadays from from that and other early experiences? Yeah.
1: I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I think it's just to grow like a fan base, Uh, you know, that's that's sort of something that that's the only infallible thing that that we have, you know, is a, uh, you know, would be like a true fan base like the vibe of like with those days and like an R band getting signed and getting like a huge budget and a, and a big advance to do this and tour support and just basically going further and further oh, in the red. Yeah. <laughs> which was just like, you know, th- 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 those were the days where there were like these, you know, there were, the, the, there were lots and lots of um illusions that suddenly something could catapult you like to being this thing, which I mean, like that did happen, you know, and, and you know, bands like, Candlebox or something had you know like a huge song or something that like suddenly but you know those those bands couldn't really it's
0: know, not a career it's not a career yeah, band it, 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 yeah, necessarily yeah, and, you
1: know it was kind of a, a a shorter span of time that 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 could exist so
0: so then round about the beginning of the aughts what were you get what were you getting up to there
1: that was when I moved to Georgia and started a studio post Muscadine and um, I was basically just getting into like experimenting with my own with, with my own stuff and did some albums that that are uh, like completely on the shelf that will n- never be heard it was my experiments with like the Harry Smith anthology and trying to like become Bob Dylan or something it, 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 that, it was that you know type right of vibe. sounds like um, kind of like song. you were doing some homework yeah right and I was learning how to play the banjo and I was trying to fused together my North Carolina bluegrass sort of bloodstream with something and trying to find you know shades of like americana or something like we're in the like we're in the air and stuff and um I mean, as I go back and, and listen to those tracks now, I'm just kind of like, some of it was good, but then and it was also mixed with rockin' stuff too. But um, yeah, I mean that was a basically uh, like a time to like experiment w- with the studio, you know, and so that that's what I did.
0: Right, yeah. and that was that when you began in earnest to learn how to record yourself. Yeah,
1: I mean I had done that. With with muscadine and stuff like you know that was the first time I got into a big studio and like was able to like experiment. So um, I, I mean I I uh, built a studio and like continued that and those have kind of been um, you know like the studios that I've had you know that, that I still have but like they've always been the same thing, which is mainly just a vehicle like for my own shit. <clears throat> you know what I mean? And the bands and the projects I do in between are just my experiments you know like with sounds and guitar sounds drum sounds drum techniques things that i'm going to use and perfect on my own shit
0: when did you start doing because when we first met i think you know your main bag for like paying the bills was Mm -hmm. the guitar thing right
1: i started that in in um in new york yeah and um mainly it was pretty basic it was um it was like the Fender company started to make these guitars that that look like they were old, right? And um, and I saw one in a store, and I was like, and and that concept was was like, wow, like you know, like to buy this thing that sort of looks like it's old, where somebody's taking keys and screwdrivers, and you know, they'll they'll like stain the back of the neck to look like it's dirty, blah 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 blah. And I thought the concept was cool, but the way that it was done was kind of shitty. Um, so I said to my aunt, during that time, I, like me, I was borrowing this beautiful 1957 Telecaster like, that I gave back to the guy I was borrowing it from, and I was so attached to that fucking thing. And I was like, you know, I bet you I can make something like this. I can make it... I can make something that feels like this. That's what I did. And I made... Like the guitar that I still have um uh, you know um on stage that was that was the first one like that I made
0: I'm gonna ask what might be a stupid question, yeah. but when you say you made it, I mean you're t- so you you carve the body of the
1: yeah like when I started that you know like me I was completely oh, insane about um getting the tools to make the bodies and you know and, and that that whole thing um <clears throat> then I sort of f- figured out you know I, I mean as it became like a business quote unquote that it was better to get somebody else to do that right um, so find someone who's great and yeah I mean basically I would start with the body get a neck and basically do all the other stuff you know I mean all the painting and like the aging and so yeah I I mean um, that became sort of
0: and just rolling things in the dirt (laughs) rolling screws yeah like
1: yeah like I would uh, meditate on things to do to make things look old you know and I would use ashes and balsamic vinegar and weird PCB etchant and and uh, acid and
0: and just compare you know. like a guitar with real wear to like what yeah. what it should look like exactly yeah
1: yeah exactly so that was something that I started doing and I got on it right at the beginning of that whole thing and I did little weird shit where where my guitars would come with all these little weird drawings and weird shit I would find it like at junk stores and and old and old you know salvage spots and and I put sort of like a homespun thing, you know, into it and and I had dust, you know, so so when so when, when they opened the case that like the guitar was dirty and dusty and looked all fucked up and mm-hmm. stuff. But yeah, nice. so it was basically <laughs> and um That's awesome. Yeah, so I kind of like um s- sort of garnered some like some fame, you know, in the gu- deep in the guitar nerd sort of <laughs> like community. Like there's this guy who makes these weird you know, and, and the one they thing they even
0: that, smell bad. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, there, there was actually a guy on a forum somewhere down the line that said, there, it, it, basically, these like this l- lore like started like that. I used the, like my own pee and stuff with like to <laughs> age the like age the bridge or something like that. You know, shit like that.
0: And this is over the course of how many years that this I mean, led. I made those that guitars
1: you... for several years, right? Yeah, and then
0: so you you sort of transitioned, having started that in New York to when you came to here, back yeah, here. yeah, exactly. And
1: there was a, I mean, it got pretty big. It got to where I was. I I I had 25 guitars to make you know at, at a certain point which is a lot of fucking you know like yeah. guitars to me but once again same thing I that like I was doing like like the bread I would make from those because like they would sell for 5 grand some 6 grand you know yeah. um, some of them like would actually go like would go up in value which was is completely fucking unheard of you know what I mean in in that type of thing right. you know um anyway th- with the proceeds I would buy a microphone or mm-hmm. a guitar amp. Or and
0: were you in the spot in Laurel Canyon where you were when I met you? Yep. Right. So how did you get, just to refresh, because yeah. I forget, also just for the record here, in addition to the fact that Jonathan was playing with Jenny Lewis mm-hmm. in her band when we first met, yeah. I also had an assignment for Rolling Stone, and I knew some of the some of those folks a little bit already, but we sort of all became friends as a result of this assignment I had for Rolling Stone in 2008, during which time Wilson was having these jam sessions mm-hmm. that by that point had already been going on for a while and grown to a point where it was, like, starting to become legendary and Rolling right. Stone was like, oh, do this thing. Would you say that was, a, a, you know, sort of the most formative era or sort of the most important growth period for you?
1: Uh, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I mean, m- mainly being in that... Um what was grown from that was n- n- not only these legendary jams, which just that sounds kind of... You know, like if, if somebody told me that, that there was a jam, that that some folks were jamming, I would kind of be like, Ugh, <laughs> that's probably not very good. Like, um, you know, like, I mean, um, how can that be good? You right. Know? And, uh, but, you know, I do feel like that the triumph there was that we managed to make it good, you know, which was not fucking easy to do. So that was, um, I think that the, that the most definitely my most formative in that that's when i did the album gentle spirit which sort of continued to um you know to be sort of my like the beginning of my you know solo career
0: but also the fact that that whole experience of those events was that you produced them you produced that event right And the music that was made that sounded dope, the way it sounded in that room, because the way you set it up, that was a production. Yeah. So then when you had to get out of there and then this space became mm-hmm. available which is amazing where we are now which yeah. is the studio yeah what's the name
1: five star studios right yeah.
0: where, where albums have been recorded with dawes and father john misty uh-huh. and songs with eric Badu yeah. and roger waters recorded here and that's yeah. part of your whole situation with him yeah so obviously major like you know you couldn't have done any of this at that L- laurel canyon yeah, spot exactly exactly And I remember, you know, several years ago now, probably sitting in there with you and talking about an opportunity that had come up to go play guitar on some big tour that was like a lot of money, but it felt like a lot of pressure to decide quickly and give up the sweet situation here where you were doing stuff you were excited about. Right. And I wonder if um, at any point in these more recent years when there have been so many great opportunities, like, yeah, have you ever sort of... Decided, I got to do all of it, or you know, right. did you have to at a certain point say, you know what, I'm gonna let go of preconceptions about what I'm supposed to be doing with my project at this right. point, and th- I'm doing it, this is it, I'm doing right. all of it?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that's the, that's the idea, I mean, that's definitely what, what I'm about to do. You know, I have the 2018, the most insane, insane calendar that I've ever even fucking heard of from people that I know that tour I mean from anyone yeah, I mean? yeah so I mean me I, I've decided to sign on for it this is the time to do it but it's basically like um, you know it's just, it's just kind of what I do is that you know I, I do a little bit of this a little, little bit of that but the only thing that I have to be uh, the only thing that I have to watch is not watering you know like the plants of like my own songs which you know I kind of have to constantly gauge that like should I spend my time making someone else's songs when I should, when, when, when my own songs might have a, like a broader reach, uh, like around the globe, you know, those types of things. Um, and, And then there's, there's times when it's my deepest bros that I've just, you know, I mean, I've, like the job completely fucking has to be done you know like a josh album or something like that um,
0: let's talk a little bit about the roger waters thing for a minute because that's obviously become kind of taken over your world in in
1: recent years yeah
0: it began as a conversation about him recording with you here yeah well
1: um it began as him coming to town to cut some tracks with with nigel godrich my, my good pal and uh they started very very small uh, like in basic um like across town at at ocean way and uh, you know like it was it was uh, roger and uh, bass and drums on the first day and on this and, and on day two they decided we need somebody you know um on guitar But so i got the call i'd like to come down and so that's what kind of started it and and the song that we did on, on that day because on the album and, and stuff and um, like and all the stuff I played was you know like is there still um, which was cool but so that was the beginning of what turned into the album which is which is uh, phenomenal
0: and which was recorded some mostly here, here. Mostly yeah. here yeah. right because I'm guessing that you started making the songs for your next record Rare Birds Rare Birds right yeah. That some of those songs predate the Roger Waters yeah, stuff, but sure, some sure. of them don't, right? Some of them started after you were. Yeah.
1: So, like, both of those projects, like my album and the and the Roger thing, were like existing at kind of the same time, where right. Roger was here for some bits of time, like and um, like and I was in the studio, like with this album. So yeah, yeah, do
0: you think? Do you think that there were, th- there? Oh well, yeah, w- there's yeah. there's
1: definitely. I mean, there's times that those guys would would go home for the night, like and I would pull up a song of from my own album with this with the microphones up you know the same guitar amps and the same right. pedals it's just the same shit right, you know what I mean right, right. and uh, there's, a, there's a song like the opening song yeah, yeah. that kind of has a, a, a Floydian vibe and I'm like yeah that, that's uh, well, it's, it's kind of like the word carte blanche sort of comes to mind yeah no, right. and, you know but yeah, like that's that's been a like an extraordinary you know thing to be able to do, and um, that's going to like continue you know into I think we're doing seven weeks in South America or something, which is going to be probably the most exciting you know for like from the whole tour because those are the big outdoor stadiums with oh, these yeah. wild fans who just love the Pink Floyd oh, so yes. much. Oh yes. Oh yes. And um, so yeah, and the fact that um, that I get to stretch out on the songs from the album and that I don't have to play it exactly the same every night and you know things like that for me you know is a big deal you know right do Um, you have any new
0: favorite Floyd songs that just from playing them
1: or I definitely have a newfound appreciation for just like the chillness of a song like Breathe you know It's, it's such a fun song to play like I mean that's the first song that we play in the show and like we go out there and and it's, it's sort of, like, vibrationally unexpected, I guess. There's so much excitement, you know, like, for the show to start. And suddenly we start with this, like, really chill, like, you know. Um, so, yeah. Just, a, like, it is a transcendent band. And, and, and so, yeah. It's a,
2: and it's,
0: it's a, a it's an intense show as well. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> cool. And so, I mean, with respect to Rare Birds, when are you going to start playing shows here mm. in the
1: U.S.? Well, the tour starts, like, the day the album, like, is out in stores and online to purchase. March 2nd, we start in in, uh, Chicago. Oh, cool. Yeah, and we go across to Boston. You know, I think there's 13 uh, shows or something, and then, uh, like, it ends in the States, and we fly to Scotland, and we do UK all the way to Scandi, and then, uh, like me, I'll fly back down to Barcelona and meet up with Roger and Co., and
0: that'll be most of the rest of your year this year,
1: 2018. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, the thing I'm most excited about, I have to say, because like um, my new band did some shows here in Los Angeles, like performing the new stuff. And that's what I'm excited a little bit to go do. So, like, I'll be able to do that um, in some pockets in the um, March, like July and September, you know. So, Sweet.
0: Well, thanks so. for doing this, dude. Yeah. Thank you. Again, Rare Birds is the name of the excellent new Jonathan Wilson album out on March 2nd on Bella Union Records, and you might want to bookmark songsofjonathanwilson.com to stay in the loop on his upcoming tour plans. And much like Jonathan Wilson, who, you know, kind of pursued musical proficiency early on so that he could fill in in his dad's band as needed, Aaron Mayne of New York band Porches also had a musical upbringing. His father was a struggling singer-songwriter who did it for the love, not for commercial rewards. And you'll hear Aaron talk about that, the impact that had on him in the conversation we're about to get underway. For me, it was love at first listen when I heard Porch's debut full-length Slow Dance in the Cosmos, and it reminded me of some of my favorite things by, like, Sebado and Pedro the Lion. But on the past couple of albums, Aaron has expanded Porch's sonic palette, to include beats and synthesizers and and some really interesting music has resulted on the album Pool that came out last year and this year's new one The House Before this particular project were you were you writing
2: songs and and recording your music Yeah, I started I released my first album when I was like 17 or 18 under Aaron Main and the Riley Brothers and my friend uh, Will Table recorded it at his parents' house and I I guess I was finished it at the end of my senior year in high school and remember like burning like a ton of CDs and like Xeroxing the sleeves and like sliding into the jewel case and like passing it out to my new friends playing like open mics and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I put out that one sad album, secret album, Porky Pot. I put out four full-length albums before, as Porches. at
0: just under your
2: own name, under a few different names, right? Um,
0: and and those were things that you just shared on Bandcamp. Yeah, same, yeah, same thing.
2: Email it to the friends. Post about it on Facebook. Um, I just had no idea like how to play the game. I didn't even have a I didn't have a computer for like five years, and I think that was a huge part in just being like way out of what goes on, I guess in a way
0: right. and you I mean, at that point, did you even conceive of being a professional? musician um, or singer songwriter as, as like the thing you were trying to do in in adulthood?
2: Uh yeah, I think you know, I always wanted that to happen. I don't know how realistic I was thinking about it at that point, but I did start to notice like a a response to my music in college that felt really good and that people were kind of excited about it in a way that I hadn't experienced before that kind of gave me gave me confidence in doing that and I went on my first tour um I think when I was like 19 or 20 and once I did that I was like this is, I have to like figure out how to make this happen somehow and I that's when I, when I got back from that is when I started working on the porch stuff and
0: do you, do you think there was something that happened with your songwriting in college when you were you know playing these shows that you're describing as, as feeling like it was connecting in a way that you felt good about like do, you know what do you think changed? Um, did you I, did you have a sense about the group of songs you were writing then that that seemed like something different?
2: No, I just think that it was like really good. just encouraged me to keep doing it that feeling felt so good to have what I was making like affect people so just over time I just started to take it more seriously or just work on it more and
0: would we recognize you in in them
2: yeah you would I think I have a, a pretty specific sense of melody or like thing that comes out when I write songs that is you can see across the board at least in my opinion um, the way I sing the what I sing about and the words I use has changed drastically I think just with time and growing up and thinking about other things but yeah it's pretty trippy to listen back to like 17 year old me like learning how to sing like had never really sung before just figuring out my voice and it's it's totally raw and wild like I don't know first uh experience songwriting
0: right but you're saying you still recognize some melodic tendencies that you have now as having been kind of innate back then because I always think that that's all artists seem to have at least one but like you know sometimes a few just innate melodies that they you can hear pop up again and again in their in their music and it's like why would you fight it at a certain point you know it's the it's unique enough whatever it is you know
2: yeah i think um even you know like if i find myself singing something that sounds familiar like a a pattern that i have gone back to a lot in the past even if i try and get away from it which I think is a good thing sometimes to challenge yourself and not kind of fall back on what feels good or, you know, has worked for you. The, whatever that essence of how you, your, your creativity, I guess, however, whatever comes out is somehow coming from the same place. If it's like, I don't know how to say it, it's like, uh, it's like the stuff that you like don't you're not actively making decisions about as it's kind of like improvising or something where it, it comes from your subconscious or something like that, and then a lot of it is you know the gears grinding and tweaking it until it works, but I think that the essence of it you know is kind of very specific to yeah
0: each absolutely I mean. Just think about like what's in your brain that's impossible to articulate, and then you try and make music <laughs> yeah, you know,
2: yeah, I think it's that, and like a lot of the music you listen to when you're like the most impressionable or kind of really like become a music fan for the first time, I'll find myself still writing melodies that will sound like the strokes or something like that's definitely like the way that that stuff stuck in my head you can see I see how that comes out whatever I was listening to when I was like 14 and 15 still is ingrained in a way that it kind of makes its way into my melodies
0: so where did you grow up?
2: I grew up in Pleasantville which is part of Westchester which is like 40 minutes north on the train.
0: When did you start learning an instrument? Was that was it a thing kind of the parents suggested playing music initially, or did you find it on your own?
2: Yeah, well, I, uh, I picked up the trumpet when I was in fourth grade, I think, and played in the, the school band until I graduated high school. So I did, that was my introduction to playing an instrument, And I just really enjoyed that from the beginning.
0: Were you assigned the trumpet or did you
2: choose it? I was trying to think of this last night. I'm not really sure why I chose the trumpet. I guess it's kind of... It feels right. It's like boisterous and like loud and brassy, kind of like me or attention hogging or something. you do not seem
0: at all boisterous to me <laughs> in my admittedly yeah, limited interactions why, with you. Uh, um, trumpet. But trumpet is is a difficult. I mean, sure seems difficult to me, never having laid a lip on a trumpet. But <laughs> was it? Did you did you find it difficult to master as like a fourth grader?
2: Um, yeah, I think everyone was kind of. It's crazy to like put an instrument into those kids' hands, but there was not. I had some really good teachers. And, uh, I think I was a lot more inclined than, you know, most, a lot of kids were just in it because their parents thought it would be a well-rounded thing or something, but I, for whatever reason, was, you know, would, like, practice and be excited about, uh, working on these songs and stuff. And, yeah, so I did that, and then I think I wanted a bass in when I was, like, 12 or 13, maybe? That was, like, my first rock instrument.
0: And then, but by that point, I mean, is this at the same time as you were starting to get into, you know, this kind of defining music, like the strokes and stuff? Was that Yeah, I
2: think so. Um, I was trying to think of who I was listening to when I... I was into, like, ska music in a big way when I got my bass, and I think I was learning, like... Oh, I was was really into Sublime for like a year, hardcore, the only thing I listened to was Sublime, which is kind of embarrassing in hindsight, but I learned a lot of those bass lines, Uh, covered a lot of those songs, then I think I got into Radiohead, I was really into those bass lines, and uh, that guy Nikolai was like my hero, the bass player in The Strokes, Yeah, so I played bass for a while in a few bands. And then I just slowly started picking up the guitar, like, around my friends, and they would show me, like, bar chords and stuff like that.
0: So when did you start singing?
2: Um, when I was 15 or 16, I got a MacBook with GarageBand. And I had my, uh... Dad's old acoustic guitar, and was just messing around in GarageBand. And I remember the first thing I recorded was I read I was reading like the instruction manual because I didn't know where to start, like writing lyrics. And uh, yeah, so I just got really into that. I guess. So you
0: sang some instructions?
2: Yeah, over some chords, and got <laughs> had a lot of fun messing around with that stuff. And yeah, I would like learn. Covers. And then, I don't know, I had these friends that were making music and writing their own songs. So, and my dad is a musician and has been writing songs forever or for as long as I can remember. So, I was lucky to be surrounded by that and kind of have it feel like something that, you know, people that I knew could do. So, it wasn't such like a. I feel like for some people, Still, they're like, "How do you? Where do you start? Like, they can't fathom where to even begin when it comes to writing a song." Whereas for me, it just seemed like something I maybe could do, you know, if I tried.
0: And so, your dad played music as a as a hobby, or or did he actually professionally played shows? Or
2: Um, he would perform and like make these albums. He still performs and is recording. He's never had. So much like commercial success with it, but to me, it's amazing that he still is doing it as purely for the. He just can't not. I think I don't think he could stop writing songs if you tried. Um, yeah, but I remember like listening to his record and like jumping around the bed, singing along. And, and what what's it sound like? What kind what kind of music is it? It's like. Uh, Singer songwriter folk, right? Uh, yeah, I don't. I guess that is how I would describe it. Um,
0: so did he, would he? So when he was writing and recording his songs, was that something he did in the house? Did he have like a
2: a room he'd go to to play music? Yeah, well, he had his keyboard in his bedroom, and there was a drum set set up for a while, which was amazing to be able to wail on that when I was a kid. Um, yeah, at my mom's place, she had a an upright piano in every spot we lived in. And my brother was a classically trained pianist from when he was like five or six or something too. my mom plays piano, so I was always surrounded by it. Um, it's cool because it sounds like, in
0: addition to the idea that you could write a song as an accessible idea, it's also... The idea that you would do it without expecting huge commercial rewards was something that was just in the air like yes yeah. you just do this because you like it and you don't have to don't worry about what happens beyond that
2: that's true that is how it definitely started and I think that's why or I, I just feel lucky that I kind of was able to work on stuff in in that way just kind of untainted like I just wanted to make it and share it with whoever would listen, you know, and then it wasn't for years until I thought maybe there is a possibility of making it like a career or like having that be my job where I just do my favorite thing.
0: You know, you talked earlier about having this moment after that first tour you went on where you came back and were kind of like, okay, I... I can do a more serious version of this. I mean, did has this this era, you know, with with pool and and with this new album, the house? Like, yeah. Are you? Did you have a moment where you sort of zoomed out and thought, like, okay, now it's it's this is another time to, you know, think about what I want to do with this, or? Yeah. Well, I think. Or what are the things that now feel like are possible as as? you know kind of creative goals or achievements that you wouldn't really would not have lingered on before
2: well when we signed the deal with Domino that felt really real and like from then on it was my job and I you know they gave me a nice advance and it was the first time that I didn't have to have like a shit job on the side to support myself, so I had just, like, an obscene amount of time, and I felt super, super blessed to do that, so the only change I made was, like, just buckle down and, like, take full advantage of that time, because it felt like, you know, who has this opportunity? Like, I'm, you know, I just, it's all I've been wanting to do anyway so it just felt good to acknowledge how crazy it was and just every day work as hard as possible to try and make the best stuff uh, I'm capable of making and I guess that's how it's always been, it's just exciting to try and outdo myself and the more time I'm allowed to do that like the more I'll outdo myself I guess so. That's the only change I mean,
0: so you you're, all... you're ba- you basically you get up and you go in in here in my little room yeah, and just start start working every day on songs,
2: yeah, every day that that's possible, I do that, and that's how I was doing it at my old place I and what's I... a
0: what's a good day
2: good day um well I don't know it depends, I guess if I get like a an idea that I'm excited about, or make a nice recording. Um, that's all it takes is to like feel like pure bliss, and like everything is gonna be okay. Is if even if it's like a voice memo at the very end of the day after having like a shit anything. If there's like a s- tiny snippet or like one lyric that I'm excited about, that feels good, like creatively, and that kind of is. Uh, what goes on in that part of my life is uh, a big part of deciding whether I'm happy or not <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is weird it's a lot of pressure to like have it rely on such a fickle thing that you can't really force all the time but um, yeah it's really great and like I obviously like to be home and like have social interactions and live like a a life and have relationships, and because that feels important to having something to write about or to connect with people about. Um, yeah, it's really simple. I have like a really simple idea of how I'd like to.
0: <laughs> Does the the songs that you feel the best just you know instinctively feel the best about? Is it similar to how you feel about music you like by other artists? I mean, you know what I mean? Like the bliss of loving someone else's song and the bliss of having had a good day working on a bit of your own song. Are they... Is it a similar kind of high?
2: Um, I don't know. I guess there's like some parallels because you are listening to like a piece of music and headphones and like that affects you, but... It's a bit more... um, There's more to it, I guess, because it's what you are making and you're thinking about it that way and how other people will hear it and in the whole context of what I've been doing.
0: That's an abstract question.
2: (laughs) No, but it's good because it's... I don't think I always listened to my music the same way as I would someone else's. And I think when I started to try and do that and like ask myself would I be enjoying this or listening to it if it wasn't something that I had made I started, I made like a big shift I think that's why I kind of started making music with keyboards and stuff I realized that you know there's something exciting about hearing a a song that you've made but at a certain point I was like I don't think I would put this on if someone else had put it out and I wanted to consciously trying to ask myself if I would listen to this you know if I heard someone else making it
0: mm. Is um, it the keys or is it the beats?
2: Yeah I guess it's all of it yeah the whole keys, beats, lyrics um, what what you've mentioned the strokes as having
0: been a you know early favorite what what's some of the kind of more rhythmic music that you feel like inspires your you know some of your core ideas as
2: far as beats? I think when i when my friend introduced me to Blood Orange, that was like a massive thing for me rhythm wise beat wise. I just thought it was like impossibly cool, and I love that he you know was from London and like has this massive love and appreciation for New York, and I kind of found myself relating to it in that way where I just was so taken aback by by everything, so there was that. Kindness, who's kind of in the same mm-hmm. camp, and Kalayla I got into I was trying to listen to like more contemporary stuff or stuff that people were making and putting out then, because that felt I don't know, it was like if I'm gonna I should at Make least a kind modern of be record. aware yeah, listen, of yeah. how this stuff lives in the world and how these people are presenting themselves but then there's, you know like Arthur Russell and Depeche Mode and human league and...
0: Well, it's interesting you mentioned Arthur Russell. Obviously, you've covered a song or two of his, but, I you know, I wonder if he's an important influence for you. I mean, I feel like the music that you've made um, in terms of, like, exploring genres, see, he seems like a kind of an obvious example of someone yeah. who who was adventurous and, and just made an abundance of music without regard for
2: commerce. Yeah, I
0: love... Yeah, I feel... Who introduced you to Arthur Russell's music?
2: It's funny. A, fr- a friend of mine in high school introduced me to it, and it was uh, the "Love Is Overtaking Me" mm-hmm. album. And I think the first like four songs are like full-on folk songs, and that's what I was listening to at the time. And I was like, "This is so beautiful." And then my parents like, "Yeah, he makes all this crazy like disco music too." And I was like, eh, "Like, I don't know, like the." <laughs> The like straightforward folk (laughs) stuff, and then came back to it like years later, and saw the album cover and was like, "Holy shit! Like this is that record." And that's one of my favorite. I know it's like a compilation, but it's so special to like see someone's. It's like anti scene or like it's. It's just to me, it's like cool to see someone's just obsession with music as a whole it's made me feel uh, really comfortable in exploring genres which i feel like is not always i don't know like i think a lot of people are drawn to like the bruce springsteen or like the what are the the ramones like the like full-on package of like this is like my shit like this is the sounds that i like and these are the clothes that i wear and um i felt like i needed to kind of stick within or stick to one idea for a while and the arthur russell thing sort of helped me uh realize that you can do whatever the fuck you want and I think because I'm inclined to do that it would be stupid to to go against that inclination and I feel like Alex G is a really good example of just like within one album it basically sounds like a compilation and like the new Frank Ocean stuff it's just I love it when it's so all over the place and if that's how you feel like that's I think that's what people want to hear when they listen to someone is, like, what they're thinking about or what their vibe is and when it's all over the place. I, know, I find that cool.
0: Yeah, well, it's also just, it demonstrates that that person is still getting excited about new things as opposed to just losing touch with with the feeling of loving other people's music, of loving other music and just, like, up the ass of their own music a little mm-hmm. bit too much, you know, where it's just like, well, you make that thing, but don't you want to... Try out other things, you yeah. know. I think I'm. Uh, I think I'm done with you, Aaron.
2: All right. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me over. Of course.
0: As I mentioned earlier, Porches are going to be touring extensively in 2018, and you can stay in the loop as to their upcoming dates over at PorchesMusic.com. And coming up next on the LSQ Podcast, Episode 5, it's an excerpt from a 2008 phone interview I did for Rolling Stone with Haley Williams of Paramore, back when she was barely out of her teens, and her band was exploding into mainstream success based on their sophomore album Riot, which had produced a couple of huge singles, and the band at that point was about to go to the Grammys nominated for Best New Artist. And I was intrigued as I was putting together this episode and listening to the new interviews with Jonathan Wilson and Aaron Mayne that this interview with Haley found her revealing that she, too, was brought up in a musical family. And, and again, I think that kind of thing really is just a huge buoy to a young developing artist. Anyway, let's, uh, let's listen to a little bit of Haley Williams from Paramore right now on LSQ. Yeah, yeah, my grandfather listened to a lot of Mozart. R&B and stuff like that.
3: Southerners are more
0: like naturally musically inclined.
3: I don't know. There is something to be said for like the soul that there is in the South, you know what I'm saying? I feel like, um, I feel like it was natural for me to be drawn to to this soul music and and um I loved it, you know, at a really young age. It's always funny like
0: you know every year when they have um, you know American Idol auditions and stuff it's always like you know better more talented people from the south and I wonder you know if part of it has to do with just more people singing in church down there
3: yeah I mean I don't know it, it
0: sounds... did you sing in church though growing up yeah well to punk rock. Thank uh-huh. that is about it for episode five of lsq thank you so much for listening major thanks to jonathan wilson and aaron Maine for taking the time to talk with me i'm now sharing episodes every three weeks and the next one will feature an interview with the awesome angel olson and if you've been enjoying the show maybe leave a rating or a review make sure to subscribe as well and remember you can always reach me with questions or comments on twitter at jennylsq. i'll talk to you next time